I want you to think for a moment about the worst boss you ever had. Think about who that might be in my mind. I'm thinking of uh, somebody I worked for in Texas. He was a sort of passive aggressive uh, kind of boss. He'd always make me go to all sorts of meetings, sometimes sit in his office for long periods of time listening to him ramble on about stuff that I had no interest in whatsoever. He gave me terrible assignments and then would usually take credit for the stuff that I had done whenever we were with other people. Now, you probably have your own horror story, but think about that for a moment. Or perhaps think about the worst employee you've ever had. Was there somebody who worked for you who, whether through laziness or incompetence or something else, just simply drove you up the wall? Maybe you're a student here this morning. How about the worst teacher you ever had? Think about that. Now, one of the downsides of preaching in the community that you grew up in is I can't tell you the name of the worst teacher that I had, but think about the one that you had that uh, just sort of drove you crazy, or maybe you're a teacher. How about the worst student that you remember? In the book of Ephesians, God tells us that he wants to restore all things. And that means he wants to fix all relationships, including the ones that we experience at work with our employers and employees, the ones that we have at school, teachers and students, even those kinds of relationships where we're in a volunteer activity like the PTA or volunteering at the Veterans Association and we're working for a supervisor there or whatever. These relationships are the relationships that matter to God as well. That he's not simply come to save us so that on Sunday morning we can have great experience, but he wants us to experience the power of God's grace throughout the week in all the relationships that we have. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, and we're going to look at what God has to say about the kind of work relationships relationships in school between teacher and student, kind of relationships we experience in volunteer organizations as we are laboring there, and look and see what God has to say about those relationships. Ephesians chapter 6, we're page 829 in the Bibles the church provides. We're going to skip the first four verses, which is about parents uh, and children, and we're going to save that for next week, which is Mother's Day, and that seems like a good Sunday to look at Paul's instructions to children and to fathers. This week, we're going to look in verses 5 through 9 and see what God has to say about the kind of work relationships we experience. Listen as I read, beginning in verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord 
not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, hopefully the first question that came to your mind is, I said we were going to talk about relationships between employers and employees, teachers and students, the kind of relationships we find when we're serving in a volunteer capacity, and this passage is about slaves. Why not just simply thank God that slavery has been abolished and get on to another passage of Scripture? Well, I think this passage applies to the kinds of relationships that I started talking about for a couple of reasons. First, if you look in verse number eight, even though this is generally addressed to slaves and masters, notice at the end of verse eight, it says, whether he is slave or free. So what Paul has in mind is not just those who in the first century were slaves, but also those who were free. Now, he's chosen slavery because it is the worst-case scenario. If a slave who's owned by a master is supposed to treat his master that way, how much more should an employee treat their employer who doesn't, who doesn't own them, but they simply work for them? Likewise, if a master owns a slave and is supposed to be kind and gentle, how much more so? for a teacher or an employer who does not own their employee or their student, how much more so should we treat them? And so these instructions take the worst case scenario, but they also apply to situations where you have a free person working for another. The second reason why this passage applies is because when we hear the word slavery, we normally think of American slavery, African-American slavery that took place in this country. But that's a very different kind of slavery than what was going on in the first century. In the first century in Rome, in Ephesus, for example, the kind of slavery that was there looked very different than what we had in America. For example, in Ephesus, there was a form of partial slavery where you were still technically free but for a couple of days a week, you were responsible for working for your former master. It's a little bit like our work week here. There was also some people in the ancient world who would actually choose to sell themselves into slavery. One of the reasons why you would do this is that you would do it for a period of time, like a contract. You would agree to become someone's slave for a set number of years, Sometimes people did this because it gave them an opportunity to have a job they wouldn't qualify for otherwise. And sometimes, believe it or not, going through slavery would allow you to increase your social standing. In slavery in the ancient world, education was also part of the process. Again, very different than what we had in America. But in the ancient Near East in the first century, Slaves were involved in the education process either as students or sometimes as teachers. That's why I think this passage applies 
not just to employers and employees, but also the relationships we have between teacher and student. Now, don't get me wrong, slavery was still evil. And God worked to abolish slavery. But the kind of slavery that was going on in the first century is very different than the brutally oppressive sort of slavery that we experienced here in America. And so for that reason, when God is talking about slaves and masters, there are many things that it has in common with what today we think about employers and employees, teachers and students, even volunteers and supervisors. So let's look to see what God has to say. And we begin with those who are workers or students or volunteers, those of us who are under another's authority. There's one command that we are given and it's simply obey. Obey those who are in authority over you. Now for the past few weeks here, we've made a big deal out of the difference between submit and obey. Submit is the more relational word. Obey has to do with being given instructions and simply doing what you're told. Paul very definitely uses the word obey here. And what he's saying is, is that if you're an employee or a student or a volunteer, there's no recognition that you may or may not have a relationship with your employer, with your boss, with your teacher. That's not the point. The point is you're going to be given a set of instructions. You're going to be asked to do something. And the proper response is to do what you're asked to do. Now, nothing new there. But what I think Paul has to say that's important for us this morning is that he gives three attitudes and one overriding motivation for how we as employees or students or volunteers are to live out that obedience. The first attitude's found in verse number five. See at the end of the verse where it says, with sincerity of heart, the modern term that I might give for sincerity of heart is integrity of heart. What God is saying is for those of us who are employees or students or volunteers, that as we obey those who are in authority over us, we're supposed to do it with integrity, which means doing the right thing and the sort of idea that what you see is what you get. Be that kind of person. Now let me give you the opposite example of that. When I worked at Steelcase here in town, I was an intern working there and there was uh, another intern who was a little older than I was and one day he decided out of the goodness of his heart to sort of take me under his wing and put his arm around me. He said, do you wanna know what the quote unquote secret of my success is? I was like, sure. He says, it's this, always look busy. And he did. Like every time you were in a conversation with him, he was always giving off the impression that he was so busy, he had so much going on, and he always sort of gave this sense that he was rushing from one project to the next. Now, he wasn't actually busy, but this was his way of keeping himself from getting any more assignments. Because when the supervisor would think about, well, who should I ask to do this? He would think about my friend and think, well, no, he's so busy. And everybody thought he was busy. That's the opposite of what Paul's saying. He's like, look, be a person of integrity. 
What you see is what you get. Students, what this means is when you're asked to read a book for class, it means actually reading the book and not skimming through the pages or reading somebody else's review of the book on the internet. God says, be a person of integrity. If you're a volunteer and you've been asked to sweep the floors, it means actually sweeping the floors and not sweeping the dust under the rugs on the floor. Do what you've been asked to do with integrity, with sincerity of heart. The second attitude is found in verse 6. He says, "Them obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. The second attitude that God wants to see in those of us who work for others is dedication. Dedication, that sort of commitment. Literally, you could translate the phrase that is there. Don't be people pleasers who work only when others are watching. God's saying, don't be a people pleaser who only puts in their best effort when someone else is watching them. A few months ago, I read the Steve Jobs biography that Walter Isaacson wrote. It was a very interesting biography. One of the quotes in the book stood out to me. And in that book, Steve Jobs, who was uh, the longtime CEO of Apple Corporation, said this. When you're a carpenter making a beautiful chest of drawers, you're not going to use a piece of plywood on the back, even though it faces the wall and nobody will see it. You know it's there, so you're going to use a beautiful piece of wood. For you to sleep well at night, the aesthetic, the quality has to be carried all the way through. Now, this quote came in the context of why Steve Jobs was insisting that his engineers who were working on the Macintosh designed the circuit boards in such a way that they looked beautiful. The engineer said, but nobody's going to see these. He says, it doesn't matter if anybody sees them. You're going to know they're there. I'll know they're there. So design them in such a way that they have your best effort. That's the idea of dedication. Now, we don't do it because we simply want to sleep well at night. We do it, Paul says, we give our best effort because God is always watching. That whether our boss or our teacher or the supervisor over us is watching or not, that doesn't matter, God's always watching. What that means is that we don't simply have on our computer screen solitaire or be surfing the internet except when the boss walks by and we quickly hide it and put something else up instead? The point is, what does God think of that? God's like, I'm here the whole time. <laughs> I'm watching, you only care what he thinks? When he walks by, then you put it down and put your work back up? What about me? I'm right here. I've been watching the entire time. And God says, look, if you're going to labor, for someone else. Do it not just when they're watching, but be the dedicated kind of person who puts in your best effort, whether anybody is watching or not, because God is watching. So the second attitude is dedication. God wants from us integrity, and he wants from us dedication. The third attitude 
Verse number seven. Serve wholeheartedly. What I think is probably intended here is with a good attitude. That not only is God interested in us, us being employees who are dedicated and full of integrity, he wants us to have a good attitude. Now remember, the original context of this is in slavery. He's actually saying to a slave who's owned by a master, you should have a good attitude in your work. Now this doesn't mean that you and I are never given bad assignments. It never means that we're asked to do something that we don't really want to do. But at the end of the day, God is saying, look, it's a privilege to be able to work. It's a privilege to be a student. It's a privilege to have an opportunity to volunteer and to serve. And even when you're given an assignment you're not interested in, even when you're asked to do something you don't want to do, this is an opportunity to glorify God. That if you do this in such a way, it can be pleasing to God. And to approach it with a good attitude and to thank God for the strength or the ability or the opportunity to serve not your boss, but God in this way. Because that's the overriding ideal and the overriding motivation. What Paul's saying here is, look, who you work for, who your teacher is, who you're volunteering under, at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. Because the person you're ultimately working for is God. He's the one you ultimately are doing everything for. Even the lamest, silliest, most foolish assignment, you can still do that for the Lord. And when you do it for the Lord, you bring him glory. And when you do it with integrity and dedication and a good attitude, this is something that is pleasing to God. And notice what it says in verse eight. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he or she does. The point is, as we think, well, my boss is the one who gives me my raise. We think the teacher is the one who gives me the internship or the assignment. We think the supervisor is the one who makes the decision whether I have this assignment or that assignment. That's not the case. It's God who decides whether we're promoted. It's God who decides what our salary is. Now, I understand that we can be in situations where we are undervalued or underappreciated or treated poorly, but at the end of the day, if we labor faithfully and wholeheartedly as for the Lord and not for humans, it's God who will take care of the rest. This is why it says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, sorry, 22, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Why not? Because God won't let him. The person who is faithfully serving God with integrity, with dedication, with a good attitude. God finds that person and moves him to a position of influence and honor. This is why 
In Israel, you can have a shepherd carrying after a few scraggly sheep in the desert, but doing it with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. And God goes and finds that little boy and makes him king over all of Israel. This is why you can have somebody at Calvary Church who's been laboring year after year, teaching a small adult congregation faithfully with dedication and integrity, and suddenly that person's asked to be an elder over the whole church. It's because God is the one who's watching. God is the one that we're working for. And if nobody else is paying attention, yet we still labor with integrity, with dedication, and with a good attitude, it is God who will ultimately reward us. Now let's switch to the other side of the equation. What about God's instructions for those who are bosses or teachers or supervisors over volunteers? Well, our instructions come in verse nine. It says, treat your slaves in the same way, in the same way. Essentially what it means If you are here and you are a boss over others, if you are a teacher responsible for students, if you are a supervisor over volunteers, that you and I are supposed to exhibit these three same attitudes. Integrity. For example, if you're responsible for deciding whether or not your employees get a raise this year or don't get a raise, and you're communicating to somebody who's not been a great employee that they're not going to get a raise. Integrity says, tell them that's the reason why. Don't hide behind some other excuse. Be the kind of person where what you see is what you get. Dedication. If you're a teacher and you've been a teacher for 30 years, it may be easy for you to just sort of mail it in. You've been going through the same routine year after year after year. Dedication says to be committed to learning new methods of teaching, to be committed to revamping your lessons, to be the kind of person who puts in effort into grading and to helping students the kinds of things that you could, if you wanted, simply go through and do in your sleep, but to actually put in the effort. That's the kind of dedication God is looking for because he's the one who's watching. And a good attitude You may be laboring in the children's ministry here at Calvary. And you may be responsible for overseeing volunteers, some of whom may not be as dedicated as they ought to be. There may be some who their faithfulness in showing up week after week is not as great as it could be. God's saying, look, you should still have a good attitude that he's put you in charge of them, that he's given you the opportunity to help them, that he's given you the opportunity to bless them and to exhibit that good attitude toward them. You see, the overriding principle that Paul gives to those who are in authority is do not threaten them, verse nine, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. But essentially those who are here who have the responsibility of being a boss or a teacher or a supervisor, that we are essentially given the opportunity to be Christ to those who work for us. And the key characteristic of that 
is to not be harsh. Do not threaten them. Now that doesn't mean we never discipline employees. It doesn't mean that you never discipline a student who's not behaving the way they should be. It means that the overriding characteristic is that we should treat them the way Christ treats us. He does discipline us. He is stern with us at times, but the overriding attitude that Christ has towards us is kindness and gentleness and patience. That Jesus looks at us not as a thorn in his flesh, but an opportunity for us to grow. And that we who are in a supervisory position are to treat our employees the way that Christ treats us. I asked someone in our congregation who recently has become not only a supervisor, but also a Christian. I asked him as we sort of thought about this passage, what thoughts came to his mind? And he sent me an email with his thoughts in it. He says, one thing that is important is that an employee honor a boss's position of authority. The more important thing to that, though, is that the boss honor his employees. By being put in charge of employees, a supervisor is many things. They are a role model, a support, and a source of wisdom. By being a role model and support, they are showing their employees how they should act. They are honoring their employees by using their wisdom to help improve those they have been placed in charge of. It's kind of like Christ being the boss of man. Christ is our wisdom and knowledge for us to understand what we need to do. Without him, we, the employees of the kingdom, can't do it alone. It kind of seems it always comes back to that. Christ does it for us, and in the end, he's a perfect example of any relationship we find ourselves in. And that's Paul's essential point in this passage. If you are an employee or a student or a volunteer, we are to recognize that we work for Jesus. And if you are a supervisor or a boss or a teacher, God is asking us to realize that we are Jesus to those who work for us. I want you to take just a moment today at some point I have an assignment for you. We've been doing some assignments here in this part of Ephesians. If you are an employee or a student or a volunteer, I want you at some point today to think about what should I do differently at work or school or church or wherever I may be volunteering? What should I do differently? Because God has reminded me this morning that I don't work for my boss, I work for him. In what area of integrity or dedication or attitude should you or I make a change? Because God has come here this morning to say, look, you don't work for them, you work for me. Secondly, if you're a supervisor or a boss or a teacher, what should you do differently? Because God has been here this morning saying, you represent me to them. What changes do you and I need to make 
when it comes to integrity or dedication or good attitude or refusing to be harsh or mean? What changes ought we to make in order to truly be Christ to those God has placed us in authority over?